हेलो एंड वेलकम टू अनदर सीजन ऑफ सेकेंड हैंड स्टोरीज दिस इज अ प्लेस वेर आई टेल यू स्टोरीज वॉट काइंड वेल हिस्ट्रीज मिस्ट्रीज एंड अनबिलीव हिस्ट्रीज आई कॉन्ट टेल यू हाउ हैप्पी आई एम टू स्टार्ट सीजन टू दिस सीजन आई हैव अ होल लॉट ऑफ इनक्रेडिबल स्टोरीज दैट आई हैव टू टेल यू अपार्ट फ्रॉम दैट इन दिस सीजन आई एम वेरी हैप्पी टू अनाउंस देर विल बी समथिंग कॉल्ड फर्स्ट हैंड स्टोरीज ऑल्सो first hand stories are going to be wholly original fiction stories that i hope to be telling you very soon i am very excited for that and i cannot wait also a few other things with season 2 we have upped the budget and we have gotten this cover for the mic so i'm hoping this advanced production quality really shows <laughs> All right okay so uh with all of that out of the way let's start today's story Our story begins on 30th April 1943 and it begins in the Second World War The Second World War was of course fought between two powers there were the axis powers on one side and the allied forces on the other the axis powers were germany italy and japan and on the allied side there were uk us and the russians now of course apart from these six countries there were all these other pals and chums of each side fighting for the very soul and territory of the world now in 1943 Here's what was happening in the Second World War. The Axis powers were getting roundly beaten in a lot of places. In Russia, Hitler was facing a setback and North Africa had already been taken over by the Allied forces. It's around this time that Germany get hold of a very important piece of military intelligence. Here's what happens. On 30th April 1943, there's a fisherman who's fishing off the coast of Spain he's fishing near a town called Huelva and it's 9:30 in the morning and as he's fishing he sees something in the water that he can't really recognize as he goes close to it to his horror he realizes that what he's looking at in the water is a human body it's a body of a naval officer who was a british naval officer the body is fished out and they look at the corpse the corpse is wearing a british battle dress he's wearing a trench coat and around the waist of the trench coat there's a leather chain that connects to a briefcase now the fisherman contacts the spanish authorities and the authorities immediately get in touch with the british consulate they inform the vice consul of the british in spain a man called Francis Hasselden they inform him that a body has washed up near Huelva now Francis Hasselden immediately informs his superiors he tells them that this body has washed up and it's the body of captain acting major William Martin now as he relays this information news comes back from his superiors they're extremely anxious they're very 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 anxious and they tell francis hasselden that he must at all costs retrieve this body and more importantly he must get hold of this briefcase as these messages are being communicated it is world war 
and every single communication is also being monitored by the Germans. And the Germans realize that washed up in Spain is a very important body with some very important information. Now, Spain at this particular point in time in the war is neutral. However, the country is riddled with German military intelligence spies. They are part of a unit called the Abwehr. And as this information comes to them, they too get interested in this body and the contents of this briefcase. Now, very soon, the sympathizers of the Nazis get hold of this body. They take pictures of the documents that are discovered in this briefcase. And it's sent forward to the head of the Abwehr, a man called Wilhelm Canaris. Now, Wilhelm Canaris sees these documents and realizes that what he is in possession of is incredible military intelligence. He finds out that the British are planning to invade the Balkans. Now, the Balkan Peninsula is a peninsula that's in between Italy and Turkey, and it has Greece at its tip. Now, this is very significant information, and it's eventually relayed to Hitler. And when Hitler hears it, he cannot believe it because he has been paranoid for a very, very long time that the British were going to invade the Balkans. Now, the reason he's been paranoid is because the Balkans were an area that was providing for a lot of natural resources that were being used by Germany in their war effort. It was a place of critical military importance. And he was always afraid that the British were going to attack it. And now he has physical proof. Now, because of this, Hitler immediately contacts a man called Benito Mussolini, the dictator of Italy. And he informs him that he would like to remove troops from Sicily. Sicily is the island that is the football that the boot of Italy kicks. He tells him that we're going to remove troops from Sicily and post them to the Balkans where this attack is imminent. Benito Mussolini says that that is not such a good idea. He feels that Sicily too should be defended. But Hitler has just seen his fears come true and he refutes this argument. He says that he's going to do it come what may. And so the troops are moved from Sicily to the Balkans. And then an attack comes. It absolutely does happen and the British do invade. Except they do not invade the Balkans. They invade Sicily. This is the story of how that happened. The reason they invaded Sicily was because the letters, the plans and even the officer, all of them were fake. This was one of the most interesting and significant deceptions in the history of the Second World War. And this would have outsized outcomes in the war. This is the story of Operation Mince Meat. To understand Operation Mincemeat, we have to understand a little more about the events 
of the Second World War. In 1943, the British have finally invaded North Africa. And with North Africa under their control, they look up and they see the belly of Europe. And the idea is to now attack mainland Europe and take more territory. To do this, what they plan to do is to first attack Sicily. Sicily was very significant because if you could control Sicily and then later Italy, it would open the Mediterranean Sea for allied ships to pass and then it would open up Europe. So it was extremely strategically crucial that they attacked this place. But if it was obvious to the allied forces, it was also obvious to the Axis powers. As Winston Churchill himself put it, only but a bloody fool would think that we're not going to attack Sicily. So what they needed was some kind of diversion, some kind of red herring that would divert attention away from Sicily. And that's where this operation comes in. Now, there was a real admiral called John Godfrey, and he had created something called the Trout Memo. Now, this memo was basically a piece of paper on which were written several different ideas as ways to deceive the enemy. Now, people say that it wasn't just John Godfrey who wrote this memo. It was also co-authored by a man who worked for him, a man called Lieutenant Commander Ian Fleming. If that name sounds familiar to you, then it probably is. Because Ian Fleming was the man who would go on to write a fictional character called James Bond. So before he was writing fictional espionage stories, he was literally writing real espionage stories. So here's what happens. Now on this memo, there are several ways to deceive the enemy. But on point number 28 was one very specific idea. That idea was this. The idea said that why don't we send a fake soldier who's carrying fake plans, which will serve as a red herring and distract the enemy from our real intended location. Eventually, this plan was approved and the execution of it fell to two men. One was Flight Lieutenant and MI5 Intelligence Officer Charles Chomley. And the second was Naval Intelligence Officer Yuvin Montague. Now these two are tasked with this unbelievable mission which they have to not only bring to fruition but also execute to perfection. It's a very, very difficult task and they go about it with enthusiasm. Now the first thing that you have to do when you have to execute something like this is that you have to create this fictional military officer. And here's how they go about doing it. Now, what I'm going to be telling you next is something truly bizarre and strange and wonderful. It is the creation of an imaginary officer. And here's how you go about doing it. The first thing you do is you create a name. And the name they chose was William Martin. Now, the reason they chose William Martin was because in the Navy at the time, there were several Martins. So if Germany ever decided to dig through, they would realize that, oh yeah, maybe we missed a Martin. It was kind of like the British equivalent of Singh. The next thing they do is that they have to figure out the rank 
for this fictional officer. And the rank they chose was Captain Acting Major William Martin. There was a reason for this too. The reason was they had to choose a rank which was high up enough that he would have these plans, but not so high that the Germans should have known of him. And so they chose the Acting Major rank. Now comes the task of breathing life into this fictional character. And the way to do that is by creating documents that point to his identity. In espionage circles, this is known as pocket litter. Pocket litter is literally what it says. If you search a person's pocket, you will find several articles that will give you an idea as to their identity. Like for example, you'll find a wallet. In the wallet, you'll find a driver's license that will tell you a lot of stuff about the person. Now, the way they go about creating this pocket litter is fascinating. Here's all the stuff they put on the person of this fictional major. They put letter from a bank which was basically a letter telling him that he has an overdraft of 79 pounds. They put cigarettes, they put a medal, they put ticket stubs to a theatre in London. They gave a receipt for a t-shirt this man had bought. They wrote a letter from a family solicitor. And then they wrote a letter from this fictional officer's fictional father. And they wrote this letter in a pompous and pedantic style, which would mimic the style of a typical Edwardian dad. And it's good to note that fathers across time have not changed. In addition to this, they did one other incredible thing. They created for this fictional naval officer, a fictional fiancé. They got an MI5 clerk called Jean Leslie to come outside and get photographed for a picture that they put on this man's person. This was this fictional officer's fictional fiancé, Pam. And not just that, they also had a receipt for a diamond ring that he had bought for her. Can you imagine how tragic this is? This fictional naval officer who's going to get fictionally married to this fictional fiancé. How tragic that his life got cut short. In addition to all of this, they had to also put letters that were of military importance. And here's what these letters were. One letter was written as an introduction to this major. And it was written by a man called Vice Admiral Mountbatten. A person who a lot of us would also eventually know because he went on to become the last Viceroy of India. At the time, he was in the war effort as a Vice Admiral. Now he writes a letter to the Admiral of the fleet and he introduces Major William Martin by saying that he's an expert in amphibious warfare and he's on loan for a particular mission. The details of this mission were in a second letter. This second letter was written by Lieutenant General Sir Archibald Nye. And it was written to the commander of an army group that was stationed in Algeria. Now the contents of this letter were of significance. Because this was the letter that outlined the plan of the British to invade the Balkans. Now, the interesting thing about this particular letter was that they tried writing it several times 
but try as they might they just can't get the style of archibald nye so eventually they gave up and they called archibald nye and they said sir can you write this and so he sets about writing this fictional letter for this plan all of this is put in the briefcase the briefcase is attached to the person by this leather chain now of course while all of this was fabricated and false they eventually had to find a body that would become this major and this is the chapter of operation mince meat that is possibly the saddest chapter because it is the story of glender michael the man whose body would eventually be used in operation mince meat glender michael was born in a coal mining town in wales and his father used to work as a coal miner now things were fine initially until the coal ran out when the coal ran out glender michael's father lost his job and he was unable to provide for his family eventually his father ended up taking his own life by stabbing himself in the throat it was a tragic end and it was 15 year old glender michael who had to sign on the death certificate of his father his teenage scrawl is one of the only remaining traces of glender michael's existence glender michael eventually drifted apart from his sister and his mother and he became a tramp eventually he would find his way to london but over there glender michael was not in a good shape his mind was slowly unraveling he was going crazy and eventually he finds himself in a disused warehouse alone and probably afraid and it's at this spot that he drinks rat poison and ends his life he died at the age of 34 and his body was eventually brought to the morgue a little bit before glender michael took his life Ewan Montague had approached Bentley Purchase who was the coroner of the northern districts of London. He had outlined this plan and he asked Bentley Purchase to look out for a body that would be suitable to carry out a mission like this. And it was a little while later that Bentley Purchase sets eyes on the body of Glinda Michael. He calls up Ewan Montague and he informs him that there is a body in his morgue that could do the job but he tells him that he has about 3 to 4 months because 3 to 4 months later this body would not be usable for this mission and so human montague and charles chomley set about creating this fictional officer and setting up everything in place for the final mission having got everything else ready the final few touches on the plan were these they had to get a photograph that would be used in the naval identity card for this fictional officer now every officer carried this card and in this card there was a picture and it was always the picture of the officer they initially tried to prop up the dead body and take this photograph that would be used on it but try as they might the cops would look nothing close to a living breathing human being Now because it's 1943 we are a long 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 way away from photoshop so if you had to 
find a picture of a person you had to find a person who looked like the one that you're trying to photograph and so Yuvan Montague sets off on another mission and this mission is to find a look-alike of Glinda Michael and in another amazing piece of luck he finds just the person and that person happens to be working for MI5 this man's name was Ronnie Reed and he looked almost identical to Glenda Michael down to the moustache. And so Ronnie Reed is quickly brought in, he's put into a battle dress, a picture is taken which completes this naval identity card. Now, here's how much attention to detail was paid to this mission. They didn't just put a battle dress on this corpse. First, Charles Chomley wore this battle dress to give it that worn, used feel. And then it was put on the corpse of Glender Michael. The last and possibly most insane part of this whole clothing section is this. They needed to give this fictional officer a pair of underwear. The problem was that at this point in the war, every single item was being rationed, including underwear. So now the question arose, who would sacrifice their underwear for this mission? And it turned out nobody wanted to. But there was another stroke of luck. Recently, a history professor had passed away. And he had passed away leaving a drawer filled with pristine white cheddies. And so it was the underwear of a deceased history professor who was put upon this corpse for a historic mission. On 17th April, the corpse of Glenda Michael dressed in battle gear with his trench coat and the leather chain connecting to a briefcase containing these fake documents were put into a canister. And this canister was rushed to a submarine. The submarine was HMS Seraph. And as the canister is loaded in, the submarine sinks under the sea and it's headed towards Huelva, Spain. Now Huelva and Spain were not arbitrary. Even these locations had been carefully chosen. Before the mission, the two men, Charles Chomley and Ewan Montague, had consulted with a hydrographer with the Navy and they had asked him where would the currents be most favourable to send this corpse towards the shore. And he had looked into the currents and found out that off Huelva would be a good spot. Spain was chosen because they knew that although it was neutral, it was riddled with these spies. And if word got out appropriately, which it did because of these choreographed messages sent between Francis Hasselden and his superiors, they knew that the Germans would bite. And so they did. On 29th April, the submarine nears Huelva. And the canister is released. The body floats out of the canister and reaches the top of the sea. The canister is then gunned down and the holes make this canister drop to the bottom. And then they wait for the currents to take the body to shore. Where it's discovered by the fishermen and it sets into motion an incredible chain of events that would lead to the fall of Sicily. Now, it's not just this particular deception or this operation that led to the fall of Sicily. 
there were several factors, including the paranoia that Hitler had inherently about the Balkans. There were also several bigger missions that were in play that were forcing him to look at the Balkans more than Sicily. However, this mission did play its own significant part. The consequences of this mission were incredible. It was estimated that 10,000 men would be lost at Sicily. But because of all these operations, only a fraction were lost as casualties. It was estimated that 300 ships would be sunk in the taking of Sicily. In the end, that number was only 12. It was estimated that the taking of Sicily would take 90 days. In the end, it was done in 38. More incredibly, when Sicily was lost, Benito Mussolini was called in front of the Grand Council of Fascism, a great name for any council, if you ask me. And there he is asked to justify himself. And he has no answers. Eventually, he is deposed and the king is reinstated, a man called King Victor Emmanuel III. But the most interesting part about this whole operation was the fate of Glenda Michael. Glenda Michael had been a casualty of society. He had died alone and possibly afraid in a disused warehouse. On his death certificate, he was described as a lunatic. He would have been a man lost completely to the pages of history, except for this quirk of fate that had led him to be a part of this particular mission. And in Huelva, Spain today, there is a graveyard. And in this graveyard, there is a grave. And on this grave is a gravestone. And on that gravestone is written, Glenda Michael served as Major William Martin. And that's the story of Operation Mincemeat and the outsized consequences that it had. Second Hand Stories is back with season two. There's going to be a lot more stories and the stories will come out every single Friday. So make sure that you hit the bell icon so that uh, you are informed when the stories drop. Uh, as usual, every single episode is shot in front of a live audience. If you'd like to be a part of these sessions, then all you have to do is become a member of the channel. So that's it from this episode. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.